the message that uh, the Lord laid on my heart about this thing that we've been going through and all of this uh, pain and sorrow that some of us has, have experienced has been tremendously hard, even on the people of God. Um, some losing loved ones, uh, unable to see them even as they, they pass. And uh, some of the experiences I've been through myself um, like Asaph says in this psalm, says, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful to me. And so we have gone through some things here, but I pray as we go through Psalm 73, we will get a correct vision of uh, where God is and, and how He is faithful to us and His great love for us. And so uh, will you stand with me as I uh, open up a portion of the scripture in Psalm 73 out of reverence for God and for his word. Psalm 73, verse 1, a psalm of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance, they have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? And Father, we thank you for this word. Again, we thank you for your faithfulness going through everything that we've experienced ourselves. And Lord, some are in great pain, Lord. They've endured things that they never thought they would endure, Lord. And I thank you that you're faithful, Lord. You're a God that comes into the fire with us. You're a God who comes into the lion's den, Lord. There's nowhere that you will not go with us. And I thank you that you'll never forsake us, that you'll never leave us or abandon us, God. And I pray as we go through this psalm that we would see with a clearer vision you, Lord. Everything that you've endured for us. And your faithfulness to us. That as we step into the sanctuary of God that we would have a clear vision. A longer cloud. Clear through you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 73, Asaph. His uh, name means gatherer. Um, he begins stating uh, what I believe in a clear vision, saying that truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. He writes this psalm. He declares that God is good. And even all through the things that we are experiencing now, the character of God hasn't changed. He is still good. He says that here, he's good to those that are of a pure heart. That God, again, is good to his people. And so a good vision of God, Asaph begins with. 
He's good to Israel. But Asaph's vision becomes clouded. He begins to look from a worldview. And how the wicked were doing so well. He became envious of those who were prospered. They had abundance. More than the heart could wish. Behold, these are the ungodly. Who are always at ease. They increase in riches. He begins to question God. And I believe that we can ask the question now. Have you ever been there? Where you begin to question God with what's going on in your life. He's lost sight of God, and maybe that's you. I certainly understand the things that I've seen going through this past year and have had my own questions. And I've caught myself, you know, with a wrong vision of the Lord. And it came from being filled with the world, you know, the news and seeing the wicked prosper, see the seeing the evil winning, so to speak, beginning to question God. How can these things be, Lord? They are wicked. But it was a wrong vision. Just like Asaph, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, when, uh, and maybe that could be you tonight, that uh, you've seen things that have been too painful to you. There are some things in our lives that we experience that we that are so painful that we're not even willing to share them with others watching all of this Lord why did a wicked prosper and Asaph writes when I thought how to understand this it was too painful for me sometimes we think you know that this could never happen to me because I've been working or walking with the Lord for decades, you know. I could never slip. I could never fall. I could never get a, uh, an untrue view of God. Asaph was a chief worshiper. Again, his name made gatherer. He was placed in charge of the singing in the house of the Lord by King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. He was a descendant of the Levites, a son of Barakiah and nominated as the leading singer when the ark was brought to Jerusalem and at several other occasions of national rejoicing. 1 Chronicles 15, 1 Chronicles 16, and 2 Chronicles 35. In 1 Chronicles 16, to give you a little background about Asaph, uh, 1 Chronicles 16, 2, the scripture says, When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, the chief worshiper. He played the cymbals and uh, instruments on the way of the Ark of the Covenant being brought into the temple. One of the psalms that he wrote was Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph, the mighty one, God the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, 
the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come. And so Asaph was a man of God. He was again the chief worshiper, yet he lost his vision of God. His musical influence extended far beyond the temple. And into this book of Psalms for all time. His name is to be found in the title of 12 Psalms. These Psalms featured in the singing during the revival that took place under Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 29. He joined with the other Levites in leading the praise of God when the temple was consecrated in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And so at the dedication of the temple of Solomon, uh, 2 Chronicles 5, I just want to read a few verses from there. And after the, uh, the offering, all, after all the animals were slaughtered and worship was given, uh, 2 Chronicles 5.11 says, And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, were there with their sons and their brethren. They stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals and stringed instruments and harps, and with them 120 priests, sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, Sort of like the book of Acts, you know, when they began to pray as one, with one heart. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So Asaph had experienced this great outpouring of God's Spirit, the glory of God. Again, a chief worshiper, yet he still lost his vision. Again, so many times we may think, hey, I've been working with the, walking with the Lord for 20 years, you know, certainly I can't slip, you know, or fall from a place where I can't see him clearly, but yet this man, who was a chief worshiper, did. He almost slipped. We can slip if we're not connected to Jesus Christ. We must stay connected to Jesus. And so the one who ushered the people into the presence of God, he became anxious, became envious, bitter. Grieved, that's the word, the Hebrew word shanam, that means wounded or pierced through with grief. And so Psalm 73, verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so he says he almost slipped. He almost stumbled. You know, when I was a little kid, one of the things my mom used to do for all of us, and there was a lot of us because I got five brothers <laughs> and a sister, 
she went and bought ice skates for all of us, right? And so we took ice skating lessons, and uh, we actually became pretty good skaters from that. And uh, that was one of the great things that my mom did. She, you know, brought a lot of experiences us to us to be able to see and, and, and to look at, whether it was art or, or music or, or flowers, but all of these things she took us to experience. But one of the things she did for us was to, to help us to learn how to skate. And I can remember as we were skating around, one of the things when you were going the fall was your arms would start flailing and you'd be going back this and then you'd finally catch yourself. But that's what Aesop is saying here. He said, I almost slipped. I almost stumbled. And this is the picture of him here. He was envious of the boastful when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And maybe we can find ourselves saying, you know, God, I know you're good to us, but why are you good to the wicked? They don't follow you. They don't keep your commands. They don't love you. And so Asaph envied the wicked. And we can do that. But yet the Lord is telling us to do something different. You know, he's telling us in Matthew chapter 5, he, Jesus is speaking. He says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Wow. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from whom who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Listen, love your enemies. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, because of this, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And it is so hard to see these things and to do them, to love your enemies. But even in the midst of this, God is still calling us to love our enemies. To pray for those who spitefully use you. And that is a hard thing. Psalm 73, verse 4, For there are no pangs in their death, the wicked, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Verse 6, Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Verse 7, their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue walks through the earth. And so he begins to 
have this vision of the wicked and, you know, kind of dealing with them himself rather than trusting God to be able to do these things. And he says, there are no pangs in their death. There's no grief in the death of the wicked. Asaph had seen some of the wicked die peacefully. And so it seemed to him. But were they really peaceful? Not knowing where they were going. We say or hear the lost say that, you know, I've been to many funerals where people will say, you know, they're in a better place now. But not many of them not knowing the Lord. Many of them on their way to eternal destruction. They are in hell, separated from God forever. Charles Spurgeon made this quote. He says, he fell asleep like a child, says his friends. And others exclaim, he was so happy that he must be a saint. Ah, this is but their apparent end. God knows that the dying repose of sinners is but the awful calm which heralds the eternal hurricane. They are at the edge of eternal damnation. And Asaph again says, they're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. That's Asaph's observation. Yet God's word said, we just saw it, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so the evil as well experience pain and suffering as well as good. They are not in trouble as other men, Asaph goes on to say, nor are they plagued as other men. And so we look at the wicked like Asaph and we say, how is this fair? You know, I'm struggling to make ends meet. And the wicked are prospering. They don't have any troubles. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace because God didn't punish them as he should. They became more wicked. And they flaunt their pride as a necklace, he says. And we can become troubled by their prosperity, wondering why God has not dealt with them yet. Verse 10, Psalm 73, Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And so because of this, the Word of God says, His people return here. His people, God's people, Asaph says, are made to drink and to drink deeply of the bitter cup of affliction. A full cup is wrung out to them. And the wicked say, how does God know? The wicked man sets his mouth against the heavens that there is no God. The scripture says the fool in his heart says no to God. There is no God. I can do as I please. Behold, they, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. 
They increase in riches. They are rewarded for their wickedness. And so he's not seeing clearly. He's questioning God's uh, treatment. He's not satisfied with the way that God is dealing with them. He's not satisfied with the way that God is overseeing his own life. And we can do it as well. And I've done it through the midst of this pandemic sometimes, looking at those that are prospering, those that are committing evil and wicked acts against the people of God, against babies, even against uh, God himself. And we begin to question God. We begin to question the way that he deals with them. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain, Asaph says, and washed my hands in innocent. What is the purpose of me you know, walking in a way with the Lord, you know, what is the purpose of me walking in purity of heart and with clean hands? He's at a place where he's saying, woe is me. Why should I walk in holiness? It's emptiness. There's no purpose to it. It's vain. It's, it's not anything that brings forth any profit to it. Verse 14, for all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. All day long. Plagued, he says, chastened, corrected by God. That's what Hebrews 12 speaks about. God says himself that he chastens those that he loves. Complaining even of God's correction is what's going on with Asaph and his heart. And I can tell you that this has affected many of the people in the church today. Questioning God and questioning how he's dealing with the wickedness and what he should do here and what he should do there in their eyes of these uh, children of his. You think Asaph's vision was clouded? Were things truly the way that he saw them in this psalm? They were not. He was visually impaired. And we have to be very careful not to be moved away from the Lord. The psalmist writes in Psalm 13, Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. The devil wants to move us away from God. Asaph, at this point, was away from God. He didn't see clearly. He almost slipped. He almost stumbled. Verse 15, if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. He didn't want to promote what he perceived as an injustice to the children. Sometimes the lives of the wicked on this earth are good. Most times those who follow God, their lives are hard. And we see that ourselves as an injustice. Painful even. Jesus said, you know in this world you're going to have tribulation. Paul writes in Timothy, he says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The Lord, the Lord knows how to deliver. 
He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, the scripture says. And to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, 2 Peter 2. God is a righteous judge. We may not always understand the ways of God. You know, why did I have to suffer? You know, why are my children prodigals? I don't understand this God. Why did my husband leave? Why did I lose my job? Why, Lord, did I lose my loved one without even being able to say goodbye? And these are some of the things that we've experienced over this last year. Why would you allow that, Father? Verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, again, he says, it was too painful for me. There are things in our lives that are so painful that we cannot even tell others. And there are places that we will go in our lives that only Jesus can go with us. And some of them are very hard. I don't know the answers to a lot of those questions. And God doesn't always give us the whys or the answers. But what I do know is that your Father in Heaven loves you. And I know that Jesus gave His life for you and for me. And that's enough. The Bible says He loves us with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 says he's drawn us with everlasting kindness. In Romans 5, he said he displayed his love for us at the cross. Asaph goes on to write, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, into his presence, then is when I understood their end. His vision was corrected in God's presence. He now could see, like Elisha's servant. I don't know if you're familiar in 2 Kings chapter uh, 6. Uh, Elisha is surrounded. He had heard the words of the king of Syria, and he was telling the people of Israel what to do. And, uh, and so they send down uh, troops to come capture Elisha. And so the scripture says in 2 Kings 6, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So Elisha answered, he said, Do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, and he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He saw with spiritual eyes. His vision was not clouded because God had opened his eyes. And this is what happened to Asaph. As he entered into the sanctuary of God, he entered into the presence of God. His vision became clear. David would write in Psalm 27, he would write this, one of these verses that I've held on to for my life, is one thing, David says, have I desired of the Lord. That is what I will seek after, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. David said, this is the one thing that I desire. This is the one thing that I'm seeking after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I may behold his beauty, that I may be able to inquire of him. It is in the sanctuary of God, in the presence of God, that we receive truth. As we hear his voice and as we follow him. Remember what Jesus said in John 15. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine and you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Not even the small things. And so are you coming into the sanctuary of God? Is that something that you're doing on a daily basis? Are you coming daily to seek, to sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary? Remember Martha was the one that ran all around. She was doing all these things and she was busy. You know, Lord, why don't you tell her to help me? You know, But uh, <laughs> Jesus said she's doing the one good thing and that's sitting at my feet to hear the instruction and the, to be filled with the, the love of God. You know, I just want to say to you, the Lord loves you, you know. His love hasn't changed, even through all of this, you know, that we've experienced. Uh, I lost my brother in the midst of this. I never uh, intended to really speak about that, but he was the one that led me to Christ. He was the one that spoke to me about Jesus, and uh, I haven't really spoken to many people about that, but he was so dear to me that he... Uh, he was the guy that would actually sit with you and teach you how to play games. He was never the one that would say, you know, I don't have any time, you know. Don't come and, uh, and bother me right now. But he was always the one that had time for you. He had such patience. And so we've been through some hard things. Again, people have lost their parents in the midst of this thing, not even being able to say goodbye to them. And so, just like Asaph said, these things were painful. Tremendously painful. But God is still good. And so are we sitting at the feet of Jesus? Everything comes from Him. Wisdom and knowledge that we would grow like Kathy prayed was before we began in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. My brother's name was Larry, and uh, he was just, I, I, I just walked around even now, and I said, he was the best big brother ever, you know? Uh, just a, like God blessed me with him. It was a, a, just a, a, an awesome thing. And so, in the midst of our meeting with the Lord, he fills us with himself as we abide in him. He allows us to see eternally, right? Sometimes we want to see like Burger King. We want to think at the thing that's real quick and fast and have that happen. You know, God, why aren't you, you know, doing these? Why aren't you breaking the teeth out of this enemy? Why aren't you crushing them, Lord? Why aren't you? And we have these views of how we think God should be. Yet Paul writes in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he says, for I light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. 
the things which are not seen are eternal. There is an eternal realm that God gives us glimpses of. There is a kingdom and a king that is coming. And his word says, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And in the midst of this time, while we're here, the Father is molding us into the image of his Son. That's Romans chapter 8. He's the potter, we're the clay. Some of it hurts. And there is a far more exceeding internal weight of glory. And we may not have the answers now. But one day we'll see. Asaph, because of God's opening of his eyes and heart, could now see their end of the wicked. Maybe he was pleased when he saw their end. You know, like David, knock the teeth out of their mouth. Destroy them, Lord, you know. I felt that way myself and even spoke in those very words. But in Ezekiel, he, Ezekiel writes, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. And God's heart is that none should perish, that they would repent and turn to him. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. His heart is that none should perish. Verse 18, Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they were brought to desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Their foot shall slide in due time. Deuteronomy chapter 32, 35 speaks of that in the verse, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this message from uh, Jonathan Edwards. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It is, a, uh, it is a scary message to say the least, but it is certainly a message that many uh, of a sinner at that point, when Jonathan Edwards stood before them, actually came running to the altar to be saved. He spoke of what would happen like it says in Deuteronomy 32, 35, their foot shall slide in due time. And I'll just read you a portion just to give you a little bit of the flavor of what he had said in the midst of that. It goes on for a long portion, but I'll, I'll just read a, 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 a small part of it. He says, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. This is Jonathan Edwards speaking. Uh, that the reason why they are not fallen already and do not fall now is only that God's appointed time is not come. For it is said that when that due time or appointed time comes, their foot shall slide. Then they shall be left to fall, as they are inclined by their own weight. God will not hold them up in these slippery places any longer, but will let them go. And then at that very instant they shall fall into destruction. As he that stands on such slippery declining ground, on the edge of a pit, he cannot stand alone. When he is let go, he immediately falls and is lost. The observation from the words that I would now insist upon is this. There is nothing that keeps wicked men out 
at any one moment out of hell. But the mere pleasure of God, by the mere pleasure of God, I mean His sovereign pleasure, His arbitrary will, restrained by no obligation, hindered by no manner of difficulty, any more than if nothing else but God's mere will had in the least degrees or in any respect whatsoever any hand in the preservation of wicked men for one moment. Wow. It's noted that many people ran to the altar at the end of this uh, preaching of Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He would say also, has he that walks in slippery places is every moment liable to fall? He cannot foresee one moment whether he shall stand or fall. The next, and when he does fall, he falls without warning. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou cast them down, down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? These are horrific thoughts. And for me, the one, the, the most horrific thoughts that ever, I've ever really thought upon was the fact that you can awaken like Asaph writes, as a dream when you awake, that we would awaken and be in hell. And think about the place that we're in and also the, the, the thought that there's no hope of escaping the very place that we found ourselves in. And that is a horrific thought. And so I don't clearly always see God in the manner that Jonathan Edwards sees God, you know. But uh, it's hard to argue with how many people came to Christ in the midst of letting them know exactly where they were. And that God was not under no obligation to hold them up as they were wicked and as they were lost. You know, he goes on to talk about how you know, we're standing on a frozen plank before the chasm, over the chasm of hell. And as we slip, there's no one holding. But this message is not for those who are saved. These were sinners. Walking on an icy plank over the pit of hell. Again, with nothing to hold them. At any moment, without warning, slipping, plunged into destruction. God has no obligation to hold up the wicked. And so Asaph saw, because he entered into the sanctuary of God, he saw the end of those who were wicked, those who would reject Christ. He saw their end. Verse 20, as a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their imminence. So judgment is coming for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of that. And uh, let me go back to this one part in 2 Thessalonians that Paul speaks. We heard Jonathan Edwards, we say, wow, that sounds powerful. You know, that sounds, you know, that, that God is very, uh, very tough, you know. But Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. 
Yeah, there's a judgment coming. That's one of the reasons we release the gospel. Because we don't want to see people face that. Judgment is coming, Revelation 20. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. If you can imagine thinking and seeing that, and you being one of those. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so God's righteous judgment comes down on an earth of and people that have rejected his son. But that's for a world that's lost. That is not for those who have given their hearts to Jesus Christ and for those who have been saved by him and redeemed by him. God's righteous judgment. Verse 21, Psalm 73, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. He says, my heart was grieved, vexed in my mind. Again, the word shanan, it means he was pierced through with grief. He said, I was so foolish and ignorant. I was a beast before you. And looking at his life through the lens of the world, wondering when the wicked would get theirs. But now he, wasn't, he has an understanding of God. I love the scripture out of Isaiah where it says that God's ways are not our ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Proverbs 23, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes Observe my ways. And so we are to give the Lord our heart. We are to observe his ways. Verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, receive me the glory. Asaph is now able to say that he's continually with God. He said, you hold my right hand. I've raised four children, and uh, one of the joyful things is to be able to hold their hands, especially when they're little, when they don't pull away, you know, to hold their hands and to, and to lead and guide them, you know. God has blessed us. He's blessed our family. He's blessed this congregation. And he, 
will stand with us and he's faithful. As Tony had said, God is still faithful. God is still good, even in the midst of the storms. You will guide me. That is the desire of God's heart. Even as Paul spoke on Sunday, that God wants to lead us by a cloud by day and a fire by night. That same Spirit of God He's given us now, the Holy Spirit. Whoops. All right, I'll stop right there. No, <laughs> the Scripture says in John 14, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And so we let the Holy Spirit guide us. We ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit because Jesus said that. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will my Heavenly Father give you of the Holy Spirit if you ask? And so ask. Ask to be endued with power from on high. Ask to be a bold witness to, for the Lord Jesus in these days. These are tough days. Many of you experienced some deep, deep pain, just like Esau said. One day, we will be with the Lord. You know, Aesop saw that promise here in, uh, in this psalm. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. We saw you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. How Asaph was changed as he stepped into the sanctuary of God. One moment he was questioning God. One moment he wasn't so happy with the way that God dealt with the wicked or how he was dealing with him or how he oversaw his life. But his vision was incorrect until he stepped into the sanctuary of God. Whom have I in heaven but you? Revelation 22 says, They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. It isn't the streets of gold that we long for, or the pearly gates or the jewel-encrusted walls that we long for. Asaph write, whom, writes, whom have I in heaven but you? We shall see the Lord face to face, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside you, Asaph, clearly seeing now. David writes, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When shall we come and appear before you, God? My flesh, my heart fail. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the strength of my heart and of your heart. And he is your portion. Just like the Levites. They didn't get the ground, but the Lord was their portion. 
Verse 27, For indeed those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. No longer concerned about the fate of the wicked, Asaph is understanding that God will deal with them. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. It is good for me to draw near to God. And so he has great wisdom now, like it speaks of in James. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Asaph completely changed through his encounter with God. I've put my trust in the Lord God. He puts his trust solely in the Lord. As we close tonight, has your heart become bitter in this pandemic? Have you been wounded, vexed, pierced through with grief? Has the devil succeeded in moving you away from God? Has your vision of the Lord Jesus Christ become clouded? I want to encourage you to step into the sanctuary of God. To turn off the social media. To turn off the news. And get alone with Jesus. To step into his sanctuary. To draw near to him. To put your trust in the Lord. You know, I used to be a chaplain at the Atlantic City Rescue Mission, and one of the songs that we would sing as we close out tonight, it was a song, that, uh, it was a simple song. We actually, actually kept singing the same verse over. It was about turning your eyes upon Jesus. As we close tonight, I asked that you would stand with me, and uh, these were the words, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now we might try singing this. <laughs> you know, we didn't have any music over there. There are many times I stood there and uh, you'd have a hymn book and you just would just open up and sing and trust God to, to deliver. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.